like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Philippians. We'll be in chapter 3 this morning. So if you're using one of the Bibles we provide for you, it's page 981. And we'll be starting in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3. Well, um, if you're new with us, let me just uh, welcome you again. My name is Tanner Turley. I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, I was on vacation last week with my family. Uh, Our strategy was to escape the Boston winter. And, uh, you know, this is like the second time. When we got away for Christmas two years ago, there was like record highs on Christmas. And then last week, there were record-breaking highs. Uh, So I don't know, man. You guys might just want to pay for our vacation, you know, to go out of you know, town next winter too, you know, because like every time we leave, the temperatures rise. It's really annoying, uh, but we're happy for you guys anyway, I guess. So uh, anyway, uh, really glad you're here. And uh, if you are new, we'd love for you to fill out the Connect card so we can get to know you. Uh, it's on the bottom of your worship guide, or you can fill it out online as well at rhc.church forward slash cc. Well, um, this past month, uh, our city council passed a resolution that was presented by uh, Vice President, Mr. Michael Marks, and uh, he presented a proposal to the city council to reduce the speed limit in Medford from 30 miles per hour down to 25 miles per hour. I don't know if you've caught wind of this yet, but it's been approved. The, The traffic commission approved it, so it's just a matter of implementing it, changing the signs, and getting the word out. So unless otherwise posted, just a word to the wise, okay? In the city of Medford, the standard speed limit is now 25 miles per hour. And I must say, I am actually happy about this, okay, because I believe it's going to be uh, beneficial and more safe for pedestrians, motorists, and cyclists, all right? Um, And I'm especially thankful because our family lives on one of the busiest roads in the city of Medford. We live on High Street, or 60, that cuts through Malden to Medford into Arlington. Uh, so, So needless to say, when our girls are in the front yard, I mean, we are watching them like hawks. And if we're on the sidewalk, you know, it's like, you know, you girls get over here. I'll be the one that gets ran over by the semi-truck that's not paying attention, not you. Um, so, so this is a good thing, I think, that, that the, the speed limit has been lowered, and uh, hopefully we'll have less accidents and, and less tragedies of people, uh, you know, getting hit uh, by drivers. But at the same time, if, if I'm being honest, it, at the same time, um, I'm going to have to watch my speed just a little bit more intentionally. So um, if, you're, if you're like me, uh, what you love to do is, you know, um, get to where you're going as fast as you can. Anybody, right? So, so uh, I assume like when you pull up your route on Google Maps, you're not like choosing the slowest route to get there. No, um, you're choosing the fastest route. And I'm sure uh, because, uh, you know, you, you want to also abide by the law. You're just trying to abide by the law by the greatest efficiency, you know, possible as you travel from place to place. At least that's how I operate. So um, you might not be surprised then that in my utopian world, Okay, uh, or if you want to put it in more biblical terms, all right, the new heavens and the new earth. Um, I I just envision that we will be able to travel where we want to go to our destination as quick as we possibly can, right? So this, I mean, what this means just in practical terms, like every light is green. Anybody be all right with that? Um, like foot is on the gas pedal, you know, uh, like basically the whole time, you know, until until you get to your destination. Um, and, and then, you know, there, there really would be no really need for speed limits. We can just get there as fast as we possibly 
can. Now, what if I told you that your spiritual journey is like that already? What if I told you your spiritual journey is like that right now? What if I told you that God wants you to progress spiritually at a pace that provides maximum efficiency in your life? And what if I told you that he's made it possible for that to happen and he's given you the map to navigate that course as well? You see, Paul draws a similar image when he comes to Philippians chapter 3, and it's not that of a race car driver. Okay, I'm not, by the way, I'm not suggesting, I'm not saying it's permissible, okay, just to drive as fast as you want to, you know, this week when you're driving around Medford. Um, so he doesn't use that analogy, but he uses the analogy of a runner in a race. And he's saying that as we run this race of life, we are to run it with everything we have at a maximum pace to press on to the goal that is in front of us. And so to put it in the the imagery of the, the speed limit sign, okay, God is not putting a limit on how fast we run. God is not putting a limit on how efficiently we progress in our lives before him. And so Paul is a great example here that we're going to see this this man named Paul who was uh, one of the the early church's greatest thinkers and and greatest missionaries and telling other people about Jesus and, and what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection. And so Paul is going to say, look, press on to the prize and press on for the prize of Jesus. That's Paul's point here. He wants us to press on and press on with great speed and efficiency, but he wants us to press on for the prize, and the prize is Jesus. Now, uh, we're going to give you four different ways that we can do this, but before we dive into verses 12 through the first verse of chapter 4, we should back up and read the final two verses of uh, the last section from last Sunday, which is verses 10 and 11 here, okay? So, so let's read those, and then we'll jump in uh, and jump forward through, uh, in verse 12. So here, here we go. Uh, Paul says this, that I may know him. All right, this is what, this is what Paul's living for now, okay? Uh, just to remind you, uh, Paul is saying, look, I had all of these great credentials in my past. My resume would have been envied by any Jew around. He says, but you know what? I count that resume as trash compared to knowing Jesus and being like him and pursuing the final goal, which is eternity with him. And so this is what he's saying here in verses 10 and 11, that I may know him, know Christ, and the power of his, Jesus, resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And this is where he continues. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, And sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and my sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray together. God, your word is rich. It is a treasure. And God, we pray that we would not hold it in a flippant manner today as if we have it all figured out or as if we've already kind of arrived because clearly what we've already read here is that there is much more for us to experience and attain both in this life and in the life to come. So God, I pray that you would show us where we are and if, God, we need to get into the race or if we need to change our pace as we run the race, God, show us the glory of the goal that is before us and help us to run in such a way that we could receive that prize. By your grace, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so I want to give you four ways to press on for the prize, okay? And just walking straight through this passage we just read, and the first way is this, okay? Press on for the prize with maximum effort, all right? Press on for the prize with maximum effort. When someone runs a race, okay, and this is just assuming it is really a competitive race. I don't know any other kind of race than one that would be competitive, but um, when people run a race, they run to win that race, right? They, they run to get a prize, right? whether it's like a gold medal or in this day when Paul was writing this, like a, a, you know, a, a wreath of, 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 you know, the victor's wreath. Um, so, so Paul is saying, look, that's what runners do, and I am in my life with Jesus. It is like I'm running a race here. And the prize is Jesus himself. You see, what I, what I love about the Boston Marathon is coming up in a month from, from, from almost, you know, just next week, right? Um, Marathon Monday is April 17th, the day after Easter. And so um, what I love about the, the race, one thing that I love is when the runners cross the finish line. There is, there is what? There's this, this, this feeling of, of exhilaration that they've completed the race. But then beyond that, there is usually a loved one, a friend, right, who is waiting for them there to wrap their arms around them and to congratulate them and to say, job well done. Well, well guess what? There's someone waiting for us. As we run a race, there is someone waiting for us, and his name is Jesus and he's saying, you know what, just like 
I died and was raised to life. You too will be raised if you are in with me and you will be raised to a forever existence where you are united with me forever. He is our goal. He is our greatest prize. And so it's with that glory in his eye that Paul says, I am running and I'm giving it everything that I've got. I'm going to press on to what God has put before me. Christians who are full of Christ don't coast. You got that? Christians full of Christ do not coast. There is an underlying intensity about their life that says, look, I am not satisfied with where I am today, but I want more of Christ. I want to live more like Christ. Uh, There is this kind of, uh, you could call it a sanctified dissatisfaction, or some people call it a holy agitation, okay? It's saying, look, like, I'm on my way, but I am not there yet. I'm making progress in this thing, but I have not arrived, and so I am going to press on and continue developing and growing. Like, this is how we are with everything else, right? Like, does anyone go to work and it's like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do worse at work today. Um, and, you know, like my next review, I hope I get lower marks, you know, so that, that I can kind of, you know, uh, put my job on the line and then be in jeopardy for, you know, like, we want to make progress, right? This is, this is why Paul uses the, the, the thought of maturity, that, that children, as they grow from babies to, to small children to adults, there is, there is a clear process of maturation. And Paul's saying the same thing. As you grow in Christ and as you know Christ, there is always more for us. And so Paul talks about it in such a way that he says, this pursuit involves a positive and a negative dynamic. And and he says, because I have not arrived, let's talk about the negative piece first. He says, uh, one thing I do, look back at verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, that's the, the negative dynamic. Okay, in other words, like if you're running a race, It is not wise nor advantageous for you to look over your shoulder and to see what's going on behind you. Not only will that distract you, but it will slow down your momentum. And so the question becomes then like, well, Paul, what are you forgetting about? What are you trying to leave back there in the past? And I think our natural inclination is to say, well, Paul, you must be talking about the things in your life that you would be... um, somewhat ashamed of or very ashamed of because it didn't look so much like what God wanted for you, right? And so Paul could think back to his life before he met Jesus and how he persecuted Christians and how that he was living for himself and and not for for God's ways uh, as as God revealed them in Christ. And we we can think about how this plays itself out in our lives as well. Time wasted. So many opportunities that we had to live for God, but we were so caught up in our own thing that that we let those opportunities just pass on by. Or temptation that we give in to so easily and quickly. 
Temptation that, 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 that looks so good. And so rather than saying no to these things in our life, this sin in our life that, that God has clearly said, hey, you don't want to go there. And, and if you go there, there are going to be consequences for that. We just step right into it and we indulge in, in temptation. And, and that, that sets us back spiritually, right? It, 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 it are things that we're ashamed of, our failures, but, but what Paul is saying here is this. I like this. He says, we can allow our regrets to collect dust. You know what I'm saying? Like we can leave those regrets in the past and move forward. Why is that? It's because now because of Jesus, there is, in the words of Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We don't have to live with a guilty conscience because Christ took our guilt on the cross. So we can forget what lies behind in the sense of the bad things that that we have done, the failures that we've made in our life, the things that we regret, but I don't think Paul only means that. I think Paul is also talking about those moments of achievement and accolade that he could point to. Like if there was anyone that could coast after all that he had done for God in his past, it was, it was the Apostle Paul, right? I mean, just think about it. If Paul were living today, you know, he could probably say, hey, you know, Redemption Hill, um, guess what? I just dropped 12 irresistible invites yesterday, okay? I know you guys are trying to do that like in 365 days in 2017, but I just did it in one day, so I think I can at least take a few days off here because I'm just, I'm all set with that, and, and, and all these people were, you know, considering who Jesus is because of what I've done. Or he could say, you know what, like, I just dropped such, you know, heavenly wisdom on this person, like, I just pushed, yeah, I just pushed the button and downloaded so much truth on them, they have now seven reasons not to worry or fear, like, I have dropped such great counsel on them, can I just step back today, I can just kind of hit pause, I don't have to reinvest in another relationship, because I just, man, look how hard I worked yesterday, or for Paul, Acts 17, like he plants, he starts a church in the city of Athens. Maybe you've heard of it. And then that, that church becomes like five or six churches. Couldn't Paul just like, hey, look at me, what I have done. God, thank you for using me so much for your glory. I can just relax because I have done so many great things. But Paul's saying, no, 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 no. I am pressing on. I'm forgetting what lies behind. I am forgetting my past failures and regrets. And I am not resting in the good things that God has done through me. No, I am forgetting all that. I'm laying in the past so that I can, what, strain forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. The idea here is maximum effort. As one scholar puts it, it is exerting oneself to the uttermost. We could throw all kinds of athletic cliches in here, right? Laying it on the line, uh, leaning forward, bearing down on the finish line, giving 110%. This is the way that Paul was seeking to follow Jesus. And I love the phrase at the beginning of verse 13, right? Uh, At least in this phrase where he says, uh, forgetting and straining, he's saying this one thing. But one thing I do. In other words, like as, as we sing about this morning, right, like the highest thought, the best thought for Paul, his best energy, his highest energy was given 
to Jesus to live his life for him. And so Jesus was clearly his greatest passion. He was what everything centered around in his life. Yes, work is important. We got to work. We got to pay the bills. We got to care for our families. We, gotta, we need to invest in social relationships and friendships. All of that matters to God. But all of that is centered around Jesus and his desires for us. So Paul is saying, my passion is him. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. So I would just ask you today, are you pressing on to know that power or are you getting passed by? Are you pressing on to know that power, the power of the resurrection? Or are you running your race in such a way that, that, that there's really not a zeal, there's not a passion, there's not a, an intense focus where people, there's so many people that, and this is not a competition between other Christians, right? This is not a, this is not a comparison game, but it is a question to say, how am I running my race? No matter where we are today, I deeply believe that we need to strive for a new and different level in our relationship with God. No matter where we are. I said we, that includes me, right? Like, I believe that we all have room to progress, to press on. And if you're sitting there and you're saying like, nah, Tanner, like, I'm kind of all set. Like, my level is good. Like, that's... That's for maybe some other Jesus people, but not me. I just, I would say that that thought has already betrayed the fact that you're thinking wrongly. There's more for us. We press on, we go, we seek Christ. I know this may come across as a little lofty, right? I know that, 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 that you might say like, man, I, I feel like I should, you know, pump the brakes or just kind of coast through the next week or the next month. I've got so much going on. Like, God understands. He understands how much I have going on. He's seen my calendar. Like, God wouldn't surely expect me to press on in this kind of way. But that's not how Jesus' people think. It's not how Jesus' people think. Let me say this. I hope, I hope at Redemption Hill, if you've been a part of Redemption Hill for any period of time, I hope that you would say that, man, this church really understands grace. It understands that what we have from God is an undeserved gift and that everything that we do in life is a result of God's grace and it should be driven by God's grace, right? I hope, I hope you would affirm that. I hope that you would say that, okay? But there is a liability in a culture of grace, that, that can lead us to say, like, because I am in with Jesus, then, and because, you know, my destination is set that, that, that because of Christ's work on my behalf, I'm going to heaven, then I don't need to put forward the, the same kind of effort, energy, and zeal that would press on. So, so let's like, by the way, um, that's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who was a 20th century pastor in Germany in the era of World War II, that's what he would call in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he would call that cheap grace. So, like, wicked cheap. <laughs> 
Jesus, like, I'm good with you so I can just, you know, relax. Jesus, I'm good with you. Um, like, you'll forgive me so I can just go do this. That's cheap. But a culture of grace has to drive this. Like, we will not press on any other way. We need God's strength and his energy and his spirit working within us to move us forward. And let me just show you this, okay? Like, listen to this, okay? This is a, this is a theological claim, all right, that, that's going to be worked out as you run that would say this. The way that you progress in the gospel, okay, or the way that you experience gospel transformation, a.k.a. becoming more like Jesus, is by the power of that same gospel, Anybody else saying that's right? Because that's right. Amen. Thank you. All right, this is new. This will be fun. All right, so timeout's over. We're back in the game, all right? So, so he, <laughs> verse 12, look, look at what Paul says. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Did you catch that? I'm pressing on to make this reality, the, the power of the resurrection, forever with Jesus, I'm pressing on to make this my own. Why? Because Christ has made me his own. So the motivator is what Christ has done for us. What Christ, like, I want him because he wants me. 1 John four nineteen. right? If you don't know this, you need to know this verse. We love, why? Because he loved us. This is what I'm talking about by gospel-motivated living. This is how we press on. And, and just to kind of paint a picture for you, I love this, okay? Um, when we press on and as we run a race, our steps as we run will change our what? Say what? Ch steps change Stories, okay, thank you, all right? This is part of our vision for 2017. Like, if you're new and you're like, you're like, why is he asking? Like, am I a mind reader? Steps change what? I have no clue what he's about to say. All right, but if you've been around Redemption you know that we're talking about steps change stories. So the more steps that you take for Jesus and with Jesus, the, the more that he is going to change your story as you run that race. And all of a sudden, you'll, 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 you'll have a story like Paul, where Paul is saying, look, I, this, this used to be my values, this used to be my goal, but now I have a new goal. I'm living in a brand new way, and it will be a magnificent story to tell. So let's press on for the goal with maximum effort. And then number two, let's press on for the prize with encouraging examples. Let's read verses 15 through 17 again. Let those of us who are mature think this way. 
And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Okay, so I, I love what Paul's doing here. It's so smooth. It's like such, such, a, such an encouragement for a pastor, like someone who is like, what are we doing up here every week, right? Like we are seeking to like show you what God is saying in, in, in this book called the Bible. And then we are encouraging and exhorting you just as we need it ourselves to live in a particular kind of way. But what does Paul do here? He says, look, if, if you're mature, you're going to think like this. That's verse 15. If you're mature, you are going to think in this kind of way. But he says uh, at the end of verse 15, if any, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. So, so what's Paul saying? He's saying, look, if you are out of sync with this kind of attitude that would lead you to this kind of action, I am just going to rest in God's faithfulness to show you that you are out of sync and to bring you back in sync with what it means to press on to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And so he says, if we're mature, we're going to think like this. And he says, only let us hold true, verse 16, to what we have attained. This is a picture of running at a consistent pace. In the words of one pastor, he says, don't be disheartened by the daunting distance to the finish line. Keep running. Keep pace. Keep in line. Stay in your lane and keep running. But how we do that how we can grow in that is through the examples of other people in our lives. So much of the Christian life, listen, is caught rather than taught. So I can talk to you about pressing on. I can talk to you about reading your Bible. I can talk about prayer. I can talk to you about treating others with kindness. I can talk to you about not worrying. Okay, but like when the rubber meets the road and you see someone who is living that out, It just starts to click, right? So I can, I can look back at people in my life. I'll just name some names for you as I was thinking about this week. Examples, encouraging examples that have helped me press on in my walk with Jesus. I could tell you about Kevin Hall. Kevin Hall is a guy who would do anything for Jesus. I mean, he never saw an obstacle that God couldn't push past. I could tell you about Chip Brown. I've, in fact, I've told you about him before. Just a super servant. I mean, like, if you want to put others before yourself and serve others, then you look to a guy like Chip. I could tell you about Bo Alexander, a guy in our wedding. Uh, he, he was a person of prayer. When he was going out to do something for God intentionally, I can't tell you how many times he would just stop and pray in the moment to, to, to receive that confidence that he needed to push forward. I could tell you about my friend Rush, who's also a pastor now, how, how he loves God's word, how he diligently studies. My boy Jay Green, who loves the least of these. He, he, he's actually also a pastor. He's pastoring a church in a no-name place, not, not like Boston, you know what I'm saying? Like just a no-name place where he is loving people day by day by day. I could tell you about Josh Powell, who consistently the gospel would move him to tears. I could tell you about Danny Aiken, who's the president of a seminary and who exudes the humility of Christ in a way that you're just like, hey, I want to be like him because he's so much like Jesus. I could tell you about Dwayne Milioni, the pastor from our sinning church, who 
in whatever storm or face of adversity, he had this calm resolve about him that would say, you know what, God's got this under control. And just to be honest, I need all eight of those people in my life. I could tell you about Susie Phillips, who was our FCA director, my math teacher, as a junior in high school, and how she just loved people and moved forward in faith as a godly woman who was a teacher in our school. This is why we need the church. This, this, is, this, is, this is the wisdom of God. This is, this is why he has set it up in such a way to say, like, look, you guys come together who follow me so that you can encourage one another in the race. So this is why we say, like, get in a group, and if you've been a part of Redemption Hill and you call Redemption Hill home, then commit through membership that just says, hey, this is my church, and I want to live in such a way as I press on for Jesus that I can see how other people are pressing on, and I can receive that encouragement from them, and they can receive that encouragement, not just one way, right, but they can receive that encouragement from me. These godly examples, we imitate them, and we keep our eyes on them that we might copy how they are living their lives. So I would just say, I would just say in light of this, in light of what Paul is saying here, I don't believe anyone who removes themselves from the community of faith can reach their God-given potential. I think it's impossible. I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor. I'm saying that because I'm reading Philippians 3. To the degree that you remove yourself from community or the degree that you fail to press on into community more deeply, you are, in effect, cheating yourself from God's best for you, but you are also, by the way, cheating other people around you who might see the the work of Christ in you and the strength of God that he has placed in you where they could be encouraged as well. So let's do life together. Let's, let's encourage one another. Let's, let's, when we get together, you know, and someone like actually turns a superficial conversation to a God-centered conversation, like let's take note of that and let's pursue that the next time that we hang out with, with a friend. Examples abound because, not because we're special, right? Not because like you hang out with me, you're going to see some flaws, right? I've got plenty of flaws, but you know what? I've got plenty of of good things going on too because God is at work in me, not because I'm special, but because of the grace of God in me. And the same if you're in Christ is true of you. So just this question, what are you learning from others, but also what are others learning from you? We should be able to answer both of those questions as we press on to the goal of Christ. Number three, let's press on for the prize with focused worship. Look at, look at what Paul says in verses 18 and 19. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. 
These people, Paul describes them as not encouraging examples, right, but actually enemies of the cross. In other words, they were people who either A, rejected the work of Christ on the cross, or at minimum, they have said, you know what, Jesus died for me, but it doesn't impact the way that I live. I think it's probably both based on what he says here because he describes their their pattern of living in very strong terms, okay? First of all, he says their God is their belly or some translations, their God is their stomach, all right? And this could be a reference to gluttony, okay? But it's probably a, a reference that is much broader than that, an allusion to our appetites, our desires that are, again, self-centered and not God-centered, We often place our best attention, our best affection, and our highest allegiance to things other than God. And that is, friends, the essence of idolatry. It's, it's, it's taking what should be in the place the highest place in our life, which is God, and it's elevating some other relationship or some other pursuit or accomplishment, or you can fill in the blank with a thousand things, but as one theologian said, our hearts are idle factories. We're constantly producing things to take God's place, and, and Paul's just calling this out and saying, look, you, you need better desires. You need a better appetite for the things of God. And, and so he goes on and he says, look, even these people, they're like proud about it. They tout their, 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 the ways that, that don't reflect God. He says they glory in their shame. They have their minds set on earthly things. And this phrase here, uh, in, in verse 19, the very first phrase, it says, their end is destruction. In other words, they will die as they have chosen to live, separated from Christ. Listen to that, right? They will die as they have chosen to live. People don't follow God because they don't want to follow God. And the consequences of that are grave. I mean, not only are they missing out on so much right now, but their end will be a separation from God, which the Bible calls destruction. And so I would just, it would be a good point to stop and say, look, if, if you have not become a friend of the cross of Christ, that, 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 that you, you need to become a friend of the cross and not an enemy, like, God does not want you to remain an enemy of his cross, but he wants you to step in to receive the righteousness that Jesus died to give you in place of your unrighteousness. He died to give you his life so that you might escape death. You can receive that even today if you've never stepped into the race of, of following Jesus. And it might also be a good place to say to all of us that none of us, none of us are immune to this kind of living. We're just not. We get distracted. We're running the river, but we get distracted, and so we kind of go back to those things that, that aren't pleasing to God. As 
John Owen said, he was a, a, a pastor several centuries ago, he said, look, you have to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It's an active pursuit of our lives. Like, we're going to be tempted, right? Like, Jesus taught us to pray every day, like, lead us not into temptation, right? Like, we are going to be tempted. We are going to be tempted to fall every single day. And so we need his grace to strengthen us, to keep us pressing on. This is one reason why I really appreciate the, the tradition of Lent, Many churches observe Lent. Just so you know kind of my story, I never grew up in a church that observed Lent. Like, I thought that was probably like a Catholic thing and maybe, you know, some other kind of traditions that incorporated that too. But, but I, never, I never practiced it myself and, until I realized the, 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 the motivations behind it and, and how as part of the church calendar, it can be a healthy rhythm to seek God in such a way that we fast from certain things. And fast means just give things something up for the sake of pursuing more of God. So, so, like, traditional fasting would be fasting from food. And, and, and there have been times in my life where God has led me to do that, and I would commend that. I think Jesus is clearly talking about that in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, like, when you fast, and he's probably talking about from food, all right? But at the same time, it doesn't have to be only food. So uh, you don't have to, like, there's no, like, you have to, Observe Lynn if you're a part of Redemption Hill, okay? I'm just saying that as pastors, we would encourage you to consider this opportunity to, for 40 days leading up to Easter, beginning with Ash Wednesday, all the way to the Saturday before Easter, just to say, you know what, there is something in my life that I can give up. Maybe there are a few somethings or several somethings. I can give up so that I can have more of Jesus, that's what, that's what Lent's about. Like, we give up certain things so that we can, we can focus more on the prize that is before us. That is what Lent is about. And I would commend it to you for your consideration as we journey toward the cross and the empty tomb. We sent an email out about that this week. So if you didn't get it, let me know. All right, so, so press on, right? Press on with maximum effort. Press on with encouraging examples. Press on with focused worship. And then finally, press on with, for the prize with confidence and joy. Paul brings a very stark contrast in verse 20 when he says, okay, like this, was, this is their, their path. This is their destination. They're in this destruction, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Okay, this is, this is where it gets a little theologically interesting and fun. Okay, so just let me ask you a question, all right? You can play the role of theologian for a second. Where, like if you are in Jesus, if you have said, I want to know Christ, the power of resurrection, I've received the gift of the cross, I am all in with him, I'm following him, I'm pressing on, where will you spend eternity? With God, okay? I didn't know I was going to get answers, but that's good. All right? This is a class moment. Okay, so, 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 so I think, all right, you don't have to raise your hand, all right? But I think many people probably right here would say, with God in heaven. In heaven is this ephemeral place, kind of this detached from 
our, our physical reality. And, 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 and actually, Paul says, like, to depart from the body is to be with Christ. So, so in part, that is true, right? We will go to heaven. Our soul, our spirit will go to heaven to be with Christ. But that is not the end of the story. We will not spend eternity in the clouds or wherever heaven, like, but, but, but Jesus says, look, there's a new heavens and a new earth that's coming. And it's a, not just a, an immaterial reality, a non-physical reality. It is a physical reality. We will be physically raised, new bodies, like Jesus' glorious body. It's, it's implied here. What, what does Paul say? He says, we are awaiting a Savior who's going to come back. It's what Revelation 21 verses 1 and 2 says. Uh, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Did you, did you catch all that? Like, the city is coming down. It's not just a new heavens. It's a new heavens and a new earth. God will renew all things and restore all things. And we will dwell with God forever. We will we be with God for sure. That is our destination. Jesus is the prize. So, so what I want to do here, just to help us understand what Paul is saying here to the Philippians, I want to lean on a scholar. He's an Anglican scholar uh, from England. Um, his name is N.T. Wright, and, and, and this is what he says about these two verses, okay? He says, let's suppose Philippi is under attack and in great danger. What would be their best hope, okay? So Philippi was, was a Roman colony, all right? And as a Roman colony, their job was to bring Roman culture and rule to northern Greece, okay? So, so the, the goal was there was to expand Roman influence. Now, what, what, what would happen then if they were under attack? This is what N.T. Wright says. The church is at present, a colony of heaven, with the responsibility, as we say in the Lord's Prayer, for bringing the life and rule of heaven to bear on earth. We are not, of course, varying, doing very good at this. We often find ourselves, maybe you can identify, weak and helpless, and our physical bodies themselves are growing old and tired, decaying and ready to die. But our hope is that the true Savior, the true Lord, King Jesus himself, will come from heaven and change all of that. Just as if Philippi was in trouble, then the emperor from Rome would come and take care of business to restore order and to propel them to a brighter future. Right is saying, this is what Paul is talking about here. That King Jesus will come and change all that. He is going to transform the entire world so that it is full of his glory, full of the life and power of heaven. And as part of that, he is going to transform our bodies so they are like his glorious body, the body which was itself transformed after his cruel death so that it became wonderfully alive again with a life that death and decay could never touch again. I hope you follow that. So what Paul is doing here is he's saying, look, you are citizens of heaven already. 
And you are seeking to bring the, the influence and the rule of reign of heaven where you live now. And yes, things aren't always going so great. Yes, there is opposition. Yes, there is plenty of winds that seek to knock us off course. But at the very end of the day, the king, not the emperor, not Caesar, but Jesus is going to come back and he is going to set things up exactly as you would want them to be. And now, because of him, you partake of all of that. All of that is yours. So what this means is that we can be absolutely confident as we press on. We can be confident that God is working out our lives for his ultimate ends. That he is going to establish his rule and reign among us so that we can honor him in our lives day by day. So, so Paul in all of this, he, I think what he's saying is this. Let the vision of the future compel your action today. Let then influence now. And so I would just ask you to consider your life 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. As you look at the end of your life and as you see yourself crossing that finish line. What do you see? Do you see a person that is, that is gassed and winded and, and barely able to limp across the finish line? Or do you see someone who has been fueled by the grace of God that is powerfully moving forward with every stride because God has given you the grace to put forth maximum effort with encouraging examples around you, focused on him, confident because he will bring it all to pass. That is the vision that I hope will drive us day by day and will cause us to press on with everything we've got so that simply we can experience more of Jesus now and more of Jesus then. This is the invitation that God extends to every single one of us. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that you have invited us into your story and you have given us everything we need to run. So Father, we pray that as we press on day by day, that you would give us all that we need, all the strength for every stride to, to run, to honor you, to seek you first, and to live in such a way that people could look at our lives and they could receive encouragement from the example that you are causing us to set for them. God, I pray that as a church, that we would be able to look around and see the examples that we are setting for one another. And that would cause us to rejoice and to run and to experience more of what you have for us. And God, may we be confident that this life is not as good as it gets. And that these bodies that are decaying and wasting away day by day will ultimately be renewed in the new heavens and new earth. And we will be resurrected to reign with you forever. God, thank you for such a great hope that infuses confidence in us. And we pray that you would bring it all to pass in the name of Jesus.